Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the Holy Ghost. Right now, Father, we ask that you'd speak to us concerning the Word by the Holy Spirit and through the Scriptures. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the author and the teacher of this book, and we learn from you. We lean on you, not unto our own understanding. In fact, the proverb says, not for us to be wise in our own eyes, but in all of our ways, we should acknowledge you. We shouldn't think that we know all of it. We shouldn't think that we've got it all figured out. But we should lean on you, yield to you, and ask you to speak to us concerning what it is that you have for us, who we are, what we have, and what we can do as a result of our being born again, placed in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places above all principality, power, dominion, and might. I do thank you for it, Father, and I praise you for all of these things in the holy and majestic name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's go into the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to John chapter 4. And uh, the, the sermon that I'm starting, the series as it were, that I feel like the Lord has asked me to, uh, to minister on these next three services, it'll be this Sunday, this Wednesday, and then next Sunday is ready for change. I was praying and asking the Lord uh, what it was that he would have me to say, and in that I spent about four or five hours just in worship and in prayer on Wednesday night because I couldn't fall asleep. I was just excited about what God had been doing and what Pastor Dana had taught on Wednesday. And so I'm thinking about living by faith and thinking about putting my faith into action and thinking about trusting in God and laying a firm foundation on him and his word and thinking about how important it is for me to speak and to say and whatsoever things we believe we will have when we ask for them according to Jesus's words. And so I'm all excited and wound up. And then 2.30 in the morning, I still hadn't heard anything from the Lord. And I'm like, awesome. So I went to sleep. I made myself happy in prayer and in worship. I went to sleep. And so I'm stumbling up on the next morning on Thursday. And I'm thinking, Lord, you've got to give me something to say. I'm going to continue to go to you and ask you. Uh, but these are your people. This is your church. This is your ministry. Uh, I think people miss it when they say, well, look at my ministry. No, 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 no. No, I'm just the governor. I'm just the person who is a steward watching over everything and doing my very best to communicate a vision of what it is that I feel the Lord has asked us to do. And this is not my church. This is not my ministry. If I were in control, it would be different. All of you would come all the time and you'd pray and you'd give and you'd worship and you'd witness and you'd serve. And, but it's not mine. I don't control it. So Thursday, I'm kind of stumbling into the bathroom, getting ready to go uh, get into the shower. And in just a moment, the Holy Spirit was like, bam, right in my stomach. I was like, ah, I got it. Ready for change. And then it was just this constant rolling of revelation. Literally, I had to shut it off. And I'm thinking, where were you last night when I had my, <laughs> my ink pen? I mean, literally, I had ink pen, pencil. That's a lie. It wasn't an ink pen. I had pencil in hand, notebook in front of me. I had all of the Apple products that you could possibly have in bed, ready to go. And it's like almost 3 o'clock and no thing, not a single 
thing. Now I can, I'm wiping sleep out of my eyes and cobwebs out of my brain and trying to get all this so I can hear what the Lord's trying to say. And so this morning, I really do believe uh, that this is a message, as they all are, I really do believe that this is a message for us today, exactly where we are, intentional, on purpose, very well timed. And I believe that as we get into these things, you're going to be blessed. Anybody agree with that? Amen. In Jesus' name. Verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. If you're into homiletics, I'll tell you that this is going to be a textual sermon. We're going to spend all of our time in John chapter 4. He says in verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees, listen, the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his own disciples. 3, he left Judah, excuse me, uh, Judea and departed again to Galilee. So in the Bible time that we're seeing here, we have to understand that Palestine is about 120 miles long and it's subdivided or, or broken up in an indefinite uh, territories, three different territories. Jesus is ministering and baptizing people in the south part of Palestine and Judea. He is wanting to go back up to Galilee, which is in the very north part of Palestine. And so he's in a situation where he has to go through Samaria because Samaria is stuck in the middle. Now, for us to look at kind of the understand what's going on here, um, Jewish people and Samaritan people hated each other with an extreme prejudice. They absolutely just hated and loathed each other. And this isn't like, you know, a couple of years old, a little feud. This is a thing that had been going on for hundreds of years. And so what actually happened, if people had time, True Jewish people who had enough time on their hands, they so loathed and despised the Samaritan people, they would actually start on the south end, cross the Jordan, and then come back up so they could just completely bypass going through Samaria. So this is a situation where this story, as it were, is a real account of what Jesus did. There are some things in it that we need to maybe take a little time and look at the text and see. So the first thing I want you to understand is normal people didn't do this. That journey to go through Samaria from down south into the north was a three-day journey. If they crossed the Jordan, which most of the time they would, it took an extra three days. It was a six-day journey. But in this situation, Jesus is walking, and it says that he had to go through Samaria. But in reality, he didn't have to. I believe that there was an inner leading of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have gone a different way. And most people, history tells us, did. They didn't want to go through Samaria. Because the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans, they wouldn't spend time in Samaria. They wouldn't buy things and sell things, and they didn't want to eat the food of the Samaritans, and they didn't want to drink the water of the Samaritans, and they didn't want to buy or rest or stay. It was a big deal that the Jews did not like these people. Amen? And so as we're reading through here, I just want to kind of give you that background. Verse 4, he says he needed to go, like I said, but he technically could have gone another way. I believe the Lord was led by the Holy Ghost 
And uh, who knows, maybe he didn't have time, but certainly they could have gone across the Jordan and did it a different way. If you look at a map, it's very easy to see. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day. There's a couple of things for us to keep in mind and to look at. One, John primarily in the Gospels, we have the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then we have John's Gospel that kind of stands alone. But in John's Gospel especially, we see the absolute overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Yes? There, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. John, the apostle, records John the Baptist stating, there's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world. I'm just the one that God said there'd be a voice in the wilderness crying out, make straight paths or a highway for the Lord. But here, John, in this account, this recounting of what took place at Jacob's well, John intentionally is showing us the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus is wearied from his journey. And it's the sixth hour of the day, the day over in Jerusalem and in, in, in that part uh, of the world where this religion is practiced is from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So the sixth hour of the day is noon. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a desert when it's noon, it is miserable hot. Yes? So Jesus has come into this place, Sychar, and he's entered into this well. You can go there today, it's still there. There's actually a fork in the road at this well. And it's not in a city, it's near a city. It's a little over half of a mile away to the closest city. And here Jesus has come up to Joseph's, excuse me, Jacob's well. And in this, he says to his disciples, hey, you guys, go on a little bit further, get some food. Now, year and a half ago, if someone would have told these Jewish boys to go into Samaria hang out in a town, and go and get you some food. There's some exposure here to Jesus that is beginning to wear off on them, and there's beginning to be a change in their hearts. Now, many theologians believe, I happen to agree with this statement, here really is a picture, and it really is the first that Jesus has said, this is a, this is a gospel for the world not just for the Jewish people. And Jesus is before the revelation that comes through the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. Jesus is showing this is for anyone. This is for everybody. So Jesus is weary. He shows the humanity of Jesus. He's, he's, he's sitting at this well, and he sends his disciples on further to go and get some food. He says, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to rest a bit. It's hot. You guys go get food. I'll catch up with you in a minute. And so the Bible says uh, that Jesus did this. And seven, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the, the woman of Samaria said to him, How, not why, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's a couple of things for us to take a look at here and to understand. 
Again, Jesus sits at the well. The Jewish day is from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We're at noon. It's hot. The custom of the day is that women would go out with a basin. Normally, it was a leather bucket. Uh, It was a hide from an animal. And they'd go to a well. And they'd take with them something to draw water from. Jacob's well was not um, a spring. It was kind of a cistern. Water pooled there. It was actually over 100 feet deep, so it's not some easy thing to just be like, here you go, you want some water? We're just dishing it out to everybody. In addition to that, many believe that this woman came from a city that actually had a well in it. That'll be important in a moment. In addition to that, women went either early in the morning before it was smoking hot, or in the evening, giving them enough time to draw water and go back home before the day was over. Okay? So it's noon. She's in a place, many theologians believe, she's in a place that she doesn't even need to be trying to avoid some things. Now thinking about this textually and understanding... We have to understand that this woman, again, walks up to the well, going to get something, and here a Jewish man begins to speak. Women got water early in the morning, or they got water in the evening. That's important. She's from a town, probably Sychar, and that's a little over a half a mile away, so she's huffed it a half a mile, probably out of... uh, necessity. She didn't have to. It was unnecessary, excuse me. Again, in the hottest part of the day. Uh, This woman, we believe, was such a social outcast in her own city that she wouldn't, not only would she not go get water in the morning when everybody else would be there, but she went over a half a mile away to get water so no one could see her. She's trying to avoid any confrontation Because we find out in the story later that this woman was not really a a reputable woman and she is kind of notoriously uh, bad. And uh, it's bad enough that she's traveling on foot. It's more than a mile round trip. But again, she's doing this in the hottest part of the day, trying to avoid people that she may see at any cost. I wonder if there are people like that in here that would do anything they can because of the guilt or the shame that they feel for things that they did or didn't do. That they do whatever they could to go out of their way to avoid being confronted. Embarrassed because of their guilt. Embarrassed because of something that they did. And I wonder if there are anyone here today that would be like this woman who's ready for a change in their life. That We want to be healed. We want to be forgiven. We want to be delivered. We want to be redeemed. We don't want to hold on to this garbage anymore. Are you here? Another point to note again, Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. We see Jesus actually calling a Samaritan woman a dog. We see Jesus actually calling the Samaritan woman's baby a dog. 
And then I was actually praying that over some people today. Your dogs? No, not that. I was actually praying that over some people today. Jesus said, you know, hey, the Samaritan woman responded and said, yeah, but even the dogs eat the crumbs of the master's table. And Jesus said, that's right. But healing is the children's bread, he said. And you're not a child of God. So they would call them dogs many times. In fact, even Jesus did. They referred to them as not a person. They referred to them as having a tainted bloodline. They literally were uh, not a pure descendant. And, and when you look into the Old Testament, you see how important the bloodline and ancestry is. Even in Matthew's gospel where we see the genealogy, this is a really big thing. And all of a sudden they're split and it's not pure anymore. And they can't draw a line back to the father. They have to come through Manasseh, according to scripture, if you're paying attention to how that all came about. Um, but in, in Ephraim, but they did not come directly from the, the tribes, as it were. There was a little tainted blood. And so these guys are not getting along. They're not good. And this woman looks at him and says, what in the world are you doing here? I didn't want to see anyone at this well. Hence, it's hot out here, and I'm here when nobody's here, and then you're there. Isn't it interesting, though, that sometimes in our life when we thought no one was going to be there, all of a sudden just God shows up and says, I'm here to help you. I want to I get this off of you worse than you want to get it off of yourself. Amen. And so here we see this woman responding and saying, what are you doing? Now, there's another thing I want to bring out, and then we're going to read some more scripture. You doing okay this morning? You doing all right so far? There's another thing for us to pay attention to and understand historically, kind of disdain for women, which is stupid and not godly. And we can actually see that it's not godly because Jesus broke that rule. People who say that Jesus kept the law have obviously never read the Gospels because Jesus did not keep the law, yet he was without sin. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. Jesus talked to people. He, this is breaking the law right here. You can't talk to a Samaritan woman in public. Are you kidding me? So anyway, you're enthusiastic about that point. Jesus sat in public and spoke to her. Jesus sat at this well and had a conversation with her publicly when it's hot. And he's already tired. The Bible just got done telling us he was wearied from his journey. He'd been walking for a while. He comes up thinking, all right, boys, go get some food. I'll be there in a minute. I'm going to see what I can do to rest here. And then we'll go and see, we'll eat some food together. And so then he has this woman approach her, and he begins to speak to her. All kinds of barriers are being just destroyed and ripped down and thrown out of the way. And here Jesus sitting in public talking not only to a woman, but a Samaritan woman. You got to get that and you got to understand that because she not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan woman, and in addition to that, she was notoriously a bad person. Why is that so important? Well, because we have to understand that in this time, uh, the time of this conversation took place and Jesus ministers to this woman, you didn't speak to a woman in public even if she was Jewish. You did not speak to a woman in public. The rabbis taught that. The Pharisees 
taught that. It was frowned upon so much, and the custom, which was so stupid, was so ingrained into people that many times people wouldn't address their own daughters or their own wives in public. This is dumb. We go on to understand, and we go on to know if we just do some, some basic searching of history, not even in the Bible, it's just this is what happened, they recorded it, we know. Pharisees took that even farther than what some of the rabbis and other people would do. And Pharisees were <laughs> so crazy that they wouldn't look at a woman in public, including their own daughter, including their own wife. So they had a couple of different options. They would either turn their gaze away from a woman while they walked past her, or some, which history tells us, were called the bruised and the bleeding Pharisees. I'm not making this up. The bruised and the bleeding Pharisees would close their eyes and continue to walk and at times run into a wall or a person, hence the bruised and bleeding. Again, I'm showing you this picture so you can see this is completely unnormal. This is not a normal thing. This is not the order of how men conduct one could even dream. You don't do that. And here Jesus unashamedly is sitting in the heat of the day and talking to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, by the way, is in a moron. There must be a reason that this lady is out here in the heat of the day, all by herself, drawing water. Are you here? So again, we see Jesus talking to her and, and speaking to her. And she says, Jews, verse 9, don't have any dealings. Don't have any, don't have any dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, how many know sometimes, and this has nothing to do with her gender, how many of you know sometimes people are just kind of slow to get stuff? Remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus came to Jesus, John chapter 3. He came to Jesus in the cover of night. He was, the Bible says, a teacher of the Jewish people. So he was responsible for educating, scripturally speaking, the, the, the Jewish people in that region. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey man, what's up? sort of. And he's like, not much. And then he's like, how do I get this kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And then here we go with the human condition. Wait a minute, bro. I've got to go back inside my mom. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what he said? And here, I can just see Jesus saying, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> No, dude. No. Gross. No. What are you talking about? Hearing this woman at the well, Jesus hit a hot topic button. Now, the Jewish people, and you'll see this, she talks about being a daughter of God, which she had no claim to be. And she talks about my people have worshipped God at this place in this way. And Jesus 
famously says, you know, hey, there's a time coming and it now is that those who worship me must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? So here, Jesus is back to, off of Nicodemus in that word picture, back to this lady who completely misses the point. And she's like, you, you didn't bring anything with you to get any water out of the well, and yet you're offering me water to drink? Oh, and by the way, this living water thing, it's, there's not a spring down there. I don't know if you knew this or not, but this comes from the runoff. It's a cistern. It's pooled down here, and you're talking about living water, and I can see Jesus going, stupid. Not because it's a woman, because, duh. And so Jesus talks, and he says, hey, we're paraphrasing this. Jesus talks, and he says, listen, if you drink of this water that's in this well, aren't you going to get thirsty again? And she's like, drink of the water. And the, yeah, yeah, in fact, I'll have to come back tomorrow at noon, hot as crap, and get more water so that way we can drink. And Jesus says, got it. And it's just like Jesus. He always takes people, he always takes us from the natural realm and then points us to an eternal promise. So he shifts and he's like, okay, here we go. Step one's down. Let's move to the next. I'm offering you something to drink that you'll never thirst again. If you knew who it was who said to you, give me a drink, you would have said to him, to me, give me a drink. This living water. So Jesus is making this comment, and, and again, if we understand this, that God promised in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, he promised that his people, the chosen people of God, would draw water from the joy of the wells of salvation. The psalmist spoke of his spirit, his soul, being thirsty for the living God in Psalms 42, verse 1. God's promise was, I'll pour water on a thirsty land, again, in Isaiah 44. And God summons people in Isaiah chapter 54. If there is anyone who is thirsty, hey, come and drink of the well, right? So this living water is not a new concept for people, but yet, just like you and I, sometimes we can't get our own head out of the way to move past the temporal thing and to see the eternal of what it is that God is trying to do. The things that are seen are temporary. The things unseen are eternal. Yes? Jeremiah, he's, he's got this situation. He's complaining about uh, this, the people of God had forsaken God. And God himself, according to Jeremiah, was the fountain of living water and had himself dug out and, and caused the grounds to be watered. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, Ezekiel has a vision in Ezekiel chapter 47 of a water that's flowing from the throne room of God out this living Water. Now, the Jewish people, without thinking about this in the eternal perspective of things, would be talking about a flowing, moving body of water. Again, that's, that's one of the ideas around this living. It's moving, it's flowing, it's a creek, it's a, it's a brook. It's a... But Jesus is talking about something totally different. In fact, the Word of God is talking about God himself, his life, his nature, his character. Amen? The Bible tells us that uh, in the new world that God is going to create, there's a cleansing fountain 
It talks about that in Zechariah chapter 13. That's going to come. Living waters are going to come. Again, Zechariah chapter 14. Waters would go out of the new Jerusalem. Amen? Psalms 36 talks about God being the fountain of life. And if you hunger and thirst, come, Isaiah 49.10, and just over and over and over and over. God was the fountain of living water, Jeremiah 17.13. The statement that Jesus is making to this woman of ill repute is, if you knew who it was who said to you, give me a drink. He's presenting himself right in the middle of the heat of the day, out in public, not concerned about what the religious people think, not concerned about all the problems that this woman had had. He's interjecting himself right here in the middle of this troubled woman's life and saying, I am the Messiah. Because the only one, according to the scriptures, who can give you a drink. Isn't it interesting that he came to his own and his own received him not. So he talked to a woman of ill repute at a well at noon in the heat of the day. And she, someone who had tainted blood and no approach to God through bloodline and no covenant because it was broken and dirty and no, no, not even considered a person, not even considered worthy. And also just because she was born with the wrong body parts, not able to even be addressed or look or address people in public. And here Jesus is sitting down, breaking all kinds of barriers and all kinds of rules and saying, would you be willing? Are you ready for a change? Are you ready to get out of this charade and this lifeless, powerless motion and movement and routine of just get up and wait for all the women so I don't have to see them and go down to the well half a mile away and sweat like no other. And I know women don't sweat, but I've... Anyway, moving right along. He said, are you ready? Are you ready for a change? If you knew, verse 10, the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I am the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I'm offering you God. The only one that can do that unless it's blasphemy would be the Messiah, the Son of God. Here I am. The woman said, Sir, verse 11, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that water? He said, Are you greater than your father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? Again, bringing his humanity into the equation. Are you greater than your father Jacob, who gave us this well? He's he's talking to her as a human being who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. 13, Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks 14 of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Still not getting it. Still not getting it. So Jesus' response is, great, cool. Go get your husband. Oh, snap. He says, cool, 
go call your husband and tell him to come here. 17, she says, um, uh, uh, trout season started yesterday and he's fishing. It's, it's the opening day of something and he's not here. The Tigers are on losing again. I was going to say, please give us a bullpen. Please give us a bullpen. And all the Tigers fans said, Amen. He says, 17, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five, how many? Five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how even in the moment that Jesus sits here and reveals this to her, you don't see any judgment. So from heaven to earth, you don't see any judgment. You don't see any condemnation. See, John 3, 16 is a powerful verse, and it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then 17, God gave his Son or sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world but to save the world. And then 18 and 19, it says the very, very, very powerful statement that most people forget is even there. They're condemned already. You don't have to walk up to a sinner and crack them in the skull with the Bible and say, you're a sinner? Got that. I'm <laughs> Aces. In fact, I'm going for a, a perfect record in sin. I know it. They know it. We know that we were in sin. We know that we were apart from God. We know that the things that we were doing would not be socially accepted and certainly not accepted in the eyes of God. That's why she's there at noon sweating like crazy in getting water so no one would see her. And here comes this Jewish man with nothing to even draw from. He's just looking for a problem, starting to talk to me about my life. From heaven to earth, no judgment. No judgment. Newsflash. This doesn't apply to anybody here. I just have to deal with this quick. So those of you who are streaming this message, it's not your job to tell people about their sin. It's your job to love them where they are, and instead of clubbing them with their sin in the Bible, show them a better way by example. And everybody in here said amen because we're doing that, right? Right, right. It's also interesting to see the response from humanity to heaven. Because she'd have been like, forget it, bro, I'm out of here. Talking to me about my husband. You don't know me. And leave, right? She could have denied it. She could have slapped him in the face. She could have pushed him into the well. She could have given him a drink of water. Here you go, partner. Something in her was ready for a change. And she sat there and she said, this Jewish man who thinks I'm a dog is talking to me, a woman, in the public eye with no concern that he's going to get caught or shamed 
If a rabbi or a Pharisee spoke to a woman in public in Jerusalem, a Jewish woman in public, that would be the end of their career, that would be the end of their name, that would be the end of the game for that person. It was that frowned upon. And here she's sitting here going, this Jewish man is talking to me in the middle of the day, a woman, and he already knows I've had five husbands and I'm living with the guy who either is somebody else's husband. He's either somebody else's or just not mine. We don't know. And yet, he's wanting to tell me that I told the truth, I didn't lie. Well, I perceive you're a prophet. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, right? Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem, it's the place that we should ought to worship. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. Now, here's the situation. They have this temple built on Mount Gerizim, and I don't have time to get on the lap, but that's what they're talking about. So they're saying, you guys say we have to go into the temple. We can't go into the temple and worship God, yet we want him to be our God. You say we have no claim to him. We have to have a temple to worship. You guys say come to the Jerusalem. Oh, you can't come to Jerusalem. So we had to build this temple out here. You wouldn't even let us build the house of God in our home that's actually ours because we've been cut off. So now we have to worship on this mountain, and God says don't even worry about where it is that you're worshiping. That's what Jesus said. Don't worry about whether you're worshiping out here on Mount Gerizim or in the temple in Jerusalem. Just worship God. Another barrier, just completely broken, just totally destroyed. You're either bored or never knew there was so much in here. Or a little of both. <laughs> Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus is hitting her again. Just in case you forgot, dog lady. I'm being serious. That sounds funny, but I'm being serious. We ought to be slapped if we talk to a lady that way. But this was totally, for some stupid reason, acceptable in the culture. And he says, you guys don't even know who you're worshiping. You have no acclaim you have no approach to God. You have no claim to him. You can't come into the temple. We know who we're worshiping because salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, 23, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and the truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus, bam. The one that you're talking to, that's who he is. You're looking at him. So Jesus has a tada moment, and the Samaritan woman has a aha moment. <laughs> Can you imagine? Just like the devil, just like us, when he made that statement, there must have been an overwhelming flood of guilt. Oh my God, the Messiah is here and I have had five husbands and the one that I'm with now is either someone else's or I'm not married to. Don't tell me that the devil doesn't do that to us because he does. The devil 
condemns us in our sin to destroy us and fill us with guilt and anxiety and fear. And the Holy Ghost convicts us of our sin and says, don't do that so we can repent and be restored to build us back into fellowship and relationship with God. Never forget that. If you're in the business of condemning people on their sin, you are playing for the wrong team. Amen. Amen. 27, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled but he had talked with the woman, yet no one said, why do, what do you seek, excuse me, and why are you talking with her? His disciples came back and said, what is Jesus doing? And how come no one else is seeing this? It's what it says. I'm not making it up. It's in your book. It's on your device. Your lap. Unless you're on Facebook. It should be on your device. Of course, you could be doing the old... You're going to wear your thumb out. You need to give it a break and just pay attention to Scripture for a minute. Hallelujah. You're going to have to have thumb replacement. He says, what, 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 what is he doing and how come no one's saying anything about this? Are you okay? i got to wrap this up. But you doing all right? So he says, what's going on? The woman then let her water pot, left, excuse me, and went away into the city and said to the men, to the men, to the men. I don't know what this means. You don't know what this means either. She could have went to all five of her husbands and said, you guys got to come and check this out. She could have went right up to the rabbi, right up to the Pharisee, right up to the religious leader and said, you guys got to check this out. She could have just went up into a marketplace where the men would be and yelled at the top of her lungs, y'all got to come and check this out. Ain't nobody got time for what you're doing. Come and see what's going on here. Sweet brown. Hallelujah. Come and see the man, 29. Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could he really be the Christ? And they went out in the city and they came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him and said, Rabbi, you've got to eat. And Jesus said, guys, you don't get it. I have food that you don't know about. And they said, no, right, cool. So you brought a sack with you and you got a sandwich in there and a bag of chips. And like, no, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. What is he saying? This gospel, this salvation, right here, God's breaking this out. It's not just for the Jewish people anymore. Amen. It's for anyone. In that woman, in that, that Samaritan woman, and in, in what it is that we see there, you may not have been married five times, and you may not be committing adultery or fornication. Then again, you may. But in that story and in that woman, we all have things that we've done. We all have things that we're embarrassed of. We all have things that we're ashamed of. We have to make up a mind, you know what? See, here's what happens a lot in church. People hide under the guise of they want to help people, but really they just want to know things. And there's some, some truth and reality to this accountability thing, but you ought to be real careful who it is that you're accountable with. Because in reality, it could just be a, a dirt collecting session. Oh, did you know that so-and-so is out there? Oh, but I'm praying for him. I need you to pray too. Make sure you pray for him so that way we can tell people we only told each other so we could pray. But I encourage you this morning, if you're here, if you are streaming this either off of Facebook or on our website or our app, however you may be hearing this message, 
you have to make a decision that I'm ready. I'm ready to get the routine of going in the middle of the day and fetching water. I'm ready of getting the routine of having to hide my face and be ashamed and feel the guilt and feel the embarrassment because of the things that I've done. You may have people in the community that you did something wrong to, and every time you see their car, you're like, oh God, I'm going the other way. Never mind. I was supposed to go this way and deliver a baby at the hospital, but I'm not going to do that. It can wait. I got something else to do. Why? We get so overwhelmed with guilt and so overwhelmed with shame and so embarrassed of the things that we do that we even put away important things like coming to church. Don't want to face those people that I sinned against. Don't want to face those people. It's time for us to put all that away. And you may have been hurt by people in the church. I know, crazy, right? But it happens. Because they're all human beings here. We're all just human. We're all just trying to love God and serve God. You need, to, you need to get into a place in your heart where you're ready for a change and you would even do something as audacious as standing there breaking rules and barriers and talking to Jesus and then even audacious more than that, standing and allowing him to speak to you and even confront you and even talk to you about things that you've been doing wrong. The problem with this new theology that is not new, it's old. Malcolm Muggeridge, he said this statement, and I think it fits here. All new news is just old news happening to new people. I'll say that again. All new news is really just old news that's happening to new people. We've all faced this stuff. Nothing, there's nothing new here. We've all felt rejection. We've all felt like we don't fit in. We've all felt like our sin and the things that we've done have caused us to be disqualified or unworthy. Amen. It's time for us to just let all that go, get to a place in our heart where I'm going to press in and do whatever it is that I can do to be with God, to receive from God. I'm ready for a change. I'm desperate to see God intervene in my life and in my situation. I don't want to stay on this merry-go-round and just keep doing the same stupid thing all the time. I don't want to go up and down and up and down and up and down. I'm tired of going through the valleys. I want to try to maintain a click where I'm walking level. And then from level, there are good times where I'm like, whoo, I'm floating, and then back to level not crashing. Amen. Are you ready for a change? And in addition to are you ready for a change, what would you do? Would you do something uncomfortable, maybe even socially unacceptable? Would you go to the person? Would you approach the very person? She went and told the men. We don't even know what that means. It's totally hypothetical. Maybe she did go to the woman who maybe she was sleeping with husband and say, I just want to let you know, but you should come meet Jesus. How uncomfortable, how awkward, right? But are we so willing to do whatever it takes? Are we so ready for God to intervene in our situation? We go back in, in public, and speak to the men. We laid that whole thing out. We know historically that she couldn't even do that, yet she didn't care. She was ready to be free from this thing. She, would you be willing to go and approach the person that you're trying to dodge? Maybe you were wronged, not the one who did the wrong. Would you have the audacity to walk up to someone who wronged you, who you've been, oh, I don't want to see that person. I don't go to this store because that person's there and I don't want to see. Would you be willing to walk up to that person in the milk aisle? 
Look them right in the face and say, I want you to know I forgive you for what you did. I'm ready for a change. Or do you want to stay going to the well at noon? It's your choice. It's our choice. Harboring bitterness, resentment, guilt, and shame. We can approach the man from Galilee and say, I'm not going to hide from you. You see everything anyway. I haven't done what I was supposed to do. I was dishonest and I was untruthful and I did this when I should have done that and I zigged when I should have zagged and I repent. I am ready for a change. I want something to break off of me. Maybe you're here and you're listening to this or you're here in the, the sanctuary today and you're saying, you know, people have been talking to me about God and having a relationship with him and I encourage you that if you're here and that's you or if you're viewing this and streaming this over the internet, if you're ready for a change, give your life to Jesus. You'll never regret doing it. And by the way, I encourage you to step out in boldness and actually give your life to Jesus and be a Christian even though you've actually meant some. And some of them are not cool people. Amen? Did you get anything out of this today? We did go a little bit long. We did minister to people, and I don't apologize for that. We're going to be quick. We're going to work quick. We're going to take an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, we're going to give you that opportunity now. And those who are streaming, I'd ask everybody to just bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here in the sanctuary and you'd say, Hey, Pastor Brian, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. People have been talking about me talking about me doing this for years, and I think I'm ready for a change. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to just put your hand up in the air. I'll see it, and we'll pray. No one's going to embarrass you. You don't have to come down here and tell us all the things you ever did. Just simply, I'm ready. I'm ready for a change in my life. Anybody at all? If you're, thank you, I see your hand. You can put it down. If you're viewing this and streaming it over the internet, uh, obviously I cannot see your hand, but if that's you, you can pray this prayer with us. I'd ask everybody in the sanctuary to stand to your feet, if you would, please. Uh, if you are watching this through the internet and you're giving your life to Jesus and saying this prayer, you can email us and just let us know, my name is John and I gave my life to Jesus today. I'm ready for a change. Amen. Everybody, pray this out loud with me. You who are streaming, do it as well. Father, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sin of the world. I believe you raised him from the dead. He is alive. Right now, I confess with my mouth, I need a Savior. I want to be saved. Forgive me. Come live inside of me. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap real good for those who have made that decision. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. God bless you if you are streaming with us. We love you. We'll see you next time. Amen.